I once asked a group of people that I was teaching what they think the most important quality in a rabbi is. And they started to yell out different answers. And I was surprised by the diversity of their answers. So in a sociological curiosity, I'm going to try the same thing today. And I'm curious what you think the most important attribute of a rabbi should be. Not necessarily your rabbi or me, but of a rabbi in general. Stephen. <laughs> you know, I knew when I called on you it was going to be a, a zinger. That was good. For those of you who didn't hear, he said brevity. Others? <laughs> Michael. To be a pastor, okay. More detailed quality. Someone else in the back of their hand up. Randy. Kindness. Is that what you said? Kindness, great. Luand, compassion. That was a big one when I asked the other study group. Balance, okay. What else? Jamie? Non judgmental, excellent. Couple others. Mishi? Acceptance, what else? Leadership. Burton said learned, good. Helene? Good listener, good. Provocative, okay. One or two more. Anyone on the left side? The whole right side of the show has answers. Mark? Humility, excellent. Okay, needs of the congregation. Ethical, great. Mary? I, I can't. An example, a dogma, Mel? Interpersonal skills, great. Last one, Harry. Honesty, very good. Allie? Patience, okay, great. These are great. You see, first of all, how hard my job is. Um, <laughs> but you also see how diverse all your answers are. Because... All of the things you said, I saw all your heads nodding to. I nod to it also. I agree with all of those statements. There was one word that was missing. And in my opinion, if I had the role of shaping young men and women, or older men and women, into the role of being rabbis today, if I were teaching in any of the rabbinical schools, I would tell them that the most important attribute they need for their rabbinate, whether they're in a congregation or in a Jewish community, any form of leadership, is courage. The word is courage. Because in my estimation, what I think is lacking, not only in the rabbinic world, but perhaps in the leadership world, is courage. We are noticing a tremendous vacuum, gap, space, with people who are courageous enough to do all of the things that you are talking about. And I'm not talking about just blanket courage, any courage. I mean, I once heard a sports announcer say when he saw someone streak through Yankee Stadium, that took courage. That's not the courage I refer to. It doesn't have to be dumb courage or liquor courage or blind courage. I think we actually need ethical courage, that we need moral courage. Courage to stand up for what we believe in and how we believe in it. And I'm going to give you 
a few examples of, I think, ways where we've done that well and ways where there seems to be some lack of courage. Israel is now exhaling after what was the worst forest fire in the nation's history. It's a terrible, terrible time, full of ironies in the state of Israel. Ironies on the holiday of lights that there is this terrible fire. Ironies that it was a holiday of Hanukkah commemorating the battle with the Greeks and the very first army to respond to Israel's forest fire was, of course, the nation of Greece. But what was interesting is that we found out diplomatically how many allies Israel really has. Countries that we rarely say that we can't often spell came to Israel's aid instantly. From Azerbaijan to Jordan to the Palestinian Authority to Egypt to the United States to Turkey where there's been a whole host of strained relationships. They were all there with fire-preventing measures to help stop the spread of these terrible forest fires. But juxtapose that for a moment to a few years ago, right about now, right about this time of year, which also happened at the very end of Hanukkah. Operation Cast Lead, after 7,000 rockets had fallen from Gaza into Israel, Israel couldn't take any more, and they did a military operation and an exercise to root out the evil Hamas militants and terrorists that were lobbing indiscriminate rockets that were landing on nursery schools and on nursing homes and on hospitals. Where was Azerbaijan during that conflict? Where was Egypt? Where was Jordan? Where were the countries that we so sought their help when not a tree was burning, but lives were at stake, when others were needed? Where were their moral and ethical courage of the leadership of these countries to stand up and to say, we have a responsibility. There's another issue going on in Israel today. The issue has to do with a large and significant group of ultra-Orthodox rabbis who have written an absurd letter decreeing to those of their flock who have the inability to think for themselves, many of whom, and follow only the word of their rabbi as if it is doctrine from God, and in this letter it says that Jews are no longer allowed to sell or rent their property to non-Jews. To say that this letter is absurd is a gross understatement. It's absurd on a few levels. One, there's no basis in which to do this. They just wrote it because they wanted to be racist. Two, it's not true. These same group of ultra-Orthodox rabbis every seven years sell their land to people who live in Israel who are not Jewish because it's called the Shemitah, the sabbatical year. And during the sabbatical year, we're not allowed to own crops. So as a result, to get out of the legal fiction, just like we do on the holiday of Passover, they sell it to someone who's not Jewish, and there's no legal problem for them. So when it applies to them in a religious way, it seems to be fine and favorable. But what's been painful for me is that this tremendous group of rabbis has had two defectors from it. Rabbi El Yashiv and Rabbi Ariel. The chief rabbi of Petah Tikva 
And Rabbi El Yashiv is a very well-known ultra-Orthodox rabbi. His response was very simple. These rabbis should all have their pens taken away from them and never given back. They should have no longer the ability to write and represent thought on behalf of the state of Israel. Because a fact that many of you might not know, but it's important to know, is that all of these rabbis who sign on to this letter are actually paid government officials. Because the rabbinate in Israel, and the chief rabbinate in particular, is part of the government structure. And should they say such a blasphemous statement, in my opinion, the courage now is responsible upon the leaders of the Knesset and the Israeli leadership to have the moral courage and fortitude and the wherewithal and the lack of fear, the same courage to dethrone, to throw all of these rabbis out of their government positions. Let them go find other jobs, but to let them know that when they speak against the Torah and they speak against the value systems of the Torah and they act in a racist way that is antithetical to the democracy and the value system that the state was built on, that they have a responsibility. They have to find the courage to make change. The same courage that we expect from other countries when life is on the land, on the hand, life is on the line, as opposed to just trees burning. And don't think that I'm being thoughtless about trees burning. But if I had to compare a life burning versus a tree burning, I choose the life. And when lives were at stake during Operation Cast Lead, Azerbaijan, Egypt, Jordan, Greece, Turkey, and the host of other countries that were quick to respond, thank goodness, to Israel, needed to be there as well. And not worry, not have the fear of what it means to have some moral courage, to stand up side by side with another country in a place and in a time and say, we're with you. Because when it comes to fighting a fire, it's courageous, it's lovely, it's important to help. But there's nothing to really put in the balance to ask ourselves, is it worth the fight here? Is it really worth what's going on? There's one more issue of courage I want to bring up today that ties into the Shabbat. I asked Jolie if I could keep her bat mitzvah folder, which as you see doesn't look like the typical bat mitzvah folder. It's loaded with these bumper stickers that we found, got together in Israel, outside the small tent that sits adjacent to the prime minister's home in Jerusalem. In that small tent, Noam and Aviva Shalit, the parents of the captive soldier Gilad Shalit, have been sitting vigil. They have been waiting there for their son to come home. Today marks 1,630 days since Gilad was taken captive, since a parent doesn't know where their son is. That's 232 weeks, 39,120 hours, 2,300,000 plus minutes. I lost my daughter once in a store for all of 12 seconds, the longest 12 seconds of my life. My dear friend told me about the time he lost his son in a wave in Long Island on the beach. And he couldn't find him for five seconds after a big wave came. Thank God he popped up. He said the five seconds were as if five minutes. All of us who are parents have that inherent reaction. We know exactly what it means. We are connected to that feeling. So imagine what those five seconds must feel like when it's an actual two million minutes of not knowing where your son is, his whereabouts, is safe, is healthy. That's a responsibility, not only for the state of Israel, but for all of the other nations who are part of the United Nations to foster the moral courage to stand up and to demand 
that the International Red Cross see Gilad Shalit and that he be released immediately without conditions and without demands. Because we cannot live in countries and in worlds where people capture soldiers within their own land and demand outrageous thoughts, outrageous returns just so that they will be alive, so that every single citizen of Israel, in essence, could be the next hostage. And it's up to all the countries of the world, it's up to the United Nations, it's up to their leadership to have the same level of moral courage. There's a 12-year-old who's now 13 today in our community who has incredible moral courage. His name is Ari Hagler, and this Shabbat, just like Jolie, he's celebrating his bar mitzvah. And he chose for his mitzvah project because he too went to Israel and was very taken by the vigil outside of the Shalit family house. He chose to dedicate his Shabbat in honor of Gilad Shalit. And he said, it's not enough that only in my synagogue we talk about Gilad Shalit, but he asked a hundred other synagogues and more if possible around the country to pick a Shabbat together in unison that we will dedicate to Gilad Shalit. And hopefully as a result of rabbis speaking about it, of prayers being offered, of petitions being written in schools, we will call legislators. We will find the websites and log in that we will be aware and react with our moral courage and not a sense of laziness to do everything in our power to help and bring this boy home. Because we all know what it's like to be missing our child for those 12 seconds. Imagine, God forbid, two million minutes. This young boy is going to fit the role of a perfect leader in our community. Whether he becomes a CEO of a company, whether he becomes an attorney, a doctor, an accountant, a rabbi, a cantor, he will be a real leader because he has moral courage. He has the ability to stand up and to say what's right in his or her heart and to make a difference. And sometimes... What inhibits us from saying what's right in our heart is fear. Fear of offending the other. Fear of putting ourselves out. Fear of, fear of being vulnerable. Fear of subjecting ourselves to a certain response. But I ask you, can our apathy, because of fear, really be tolerated? When moral courage is the answer that we need on so many examples in our world, can we really afford the price of apathy? Can leaders of other countries who we find out through the world of WikiLeaks are absolutely behind the state of Israel in its quest to stop Iran from becoming nuclear? Who are absolutely behind the state of Israel during Operation Cast Lead? Who are absolutely behind the return of Gilad Shalit in private documents, in private conversations, but they can't find the moral fiber, the ethical fortitude, the courage it takes to stand up on behalf of their people and say, they might not be our ally, we might have thousands of years of history of fighting, but on this particular issue, we stand next to them. It sounds foreign to hear, but all it is is moral courage. And I argue that we are living in a desert that is absolutely thirsty for a good drink of moral courage from our leadership. That isn't only a role for me as your rabbi. It isn't only a role for the presidents of nations. It's a role for all of us. 
We learn that role exactly in our parsha. Benjamin is imprisoned in the parsha. Joseph has moral courage. He has every right to get revenge at his brothers. He has every reason to get revenge at his brothers. But he takes the courage to reply to them with love, with tears, with an embrace, which makes a difference. Moral courage isn't only up to me. It's up to you too. There will be times and flashes in your life today, tomorrow, through the next weeks and years that the world will call upon you in your life, in your business, in your synagogue, in your community to be a moral and courageous leader. It might not make you the most popular person. It might not make you feel the best. It might subject you to some levels of vulnerability. But I promise you, it's the right thing to do Jewishly. And I promise you, we're all thirsty for that big drink. And this Shabbat, that we dedicate to the thought of Gilad Shalit and his immediate release and return to his homeland. On this Shabbat, may we celebrate the moral courage of this young boy, Ari, who has dedicated his bar mitzvah and encouraged over a hundred other places of worship to celebrate Gilad Shalit in honor and in respect and in demanding his return. May we think about the opportunities for moral courage, not only from the story of Joseph, but from the stories of Israel and the stories of the other rabbis who were lacking the moral courage to stand up and say you're wrong, may we find that courage within them and within us. May it inspire us. May it be contagious like a fire. May we live in a world that is full of moral courage and in each and every one of us by the behavior in which we fulfill each day. Amen. We continue our service, page 155, as the Chazan leads us in the Chazan.